There has never been a better time to take control of your career and reach your full potential. I'm all about helping people find their Jobtopia, your ideal job. As a staffing executive and executive recruiter, I have access to everything you need to feel prepared and be confident that you can tackle one of life's most daunting and challenging tasks, finding a new job. Are you ready to take control, discover hot leads, find new industries, locate decision makers? How about gain a competitive advantage? Then you're in the right place. Career Daily will help you go from good to great and find your Jobtopia. Today we're joined by a Fortune 500 food service expert. He is a culinary and food and beverage professional. He's worked for many global brands such as Kraft Foods, Nestle, Heinz. Currently, he's the senior director of sales for Lamb Weston, a $4.5 billion publicly traded firm. Welcome in, Isidro Alba. Thank you, Tony. Thanks for having me. Oh, you, you, you are welcome, and someone's got to be first, and my friend, you are the first guest of 2020. Well, that, that's, that's, uh, that's a privilege. I'm honored to be here, and I'm, I'm looking forward to this exchange. Well, you've got a lot of knowledge that uh, I know everyone's going to want to listen to, but before we really delve into that, I think your family must be just very proud of you in terms of what you've accomplished as a Cuban-American. I know you have such great respect for your family, and they've seen you live this American dream, and yet we've also been looking back on the challenges, right, in, in Cuba. Did your family, when you were growing up, did they ever talk to you about, you know, socialism, or did that come up as like a family topic in any way? Yeah, thanks, Tony. I think that's a that's a great way to start because, you know, I'm the youngest of six children. Um, my parents are Cuban immigrants. I'm the only one of my uh, five siblings that, uh, well, there's six of us, but of my five siblings that was born here in the States. So, uh, that's a great way to start because uh, thank you for the nice words. My my family actually, um, they are very proud because my parents really came here with nothing but the clothes on their back. Um, when Fidel Castro took power in the late 50s, he promised people a lot of things, right? And nothing ever lived up to it. And unfortunately, my, my dad knew the dangers of socialism before Fidel arrived. And, um, you know, they have a very long story, which I can't, don't want to get into in the interest of time. No, I understand. They, they, this is not the time for that, but obviously yeah. it was, it's, it was a part of your growing up, right? Where you understood. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It certainly was. It was in the fabric of my, my upbringing. So my parents made sure that we all understood that, that freedom comes with sacrifice. Right. And, 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 uh, I am the ultimate capitalist, so to speak. Um, so I, and that is not a dirty word. Absolutely not. Yeah, it's not. And certainly it isn't because too many times without capitalism, there is an opportunity. And I think that when you have a society where, uh, in Cuba's case, where, or, or in any socialistic society where you have the tendency to think that everything and everyone has to be equal. Um, as a matter of fact, I was just talking to my barber about that this morning there's going to be disruption because there are going to be situations where uh, people are going to be more successful than others. And there's also going to be situations where people have more than others. But I think ultimately, I think the thing for people that have more than others is always remembering to give and to help those that are less fortunate. And I think that's the balance, right? If you're greedy right. and you take from other people and, and you don't help them, there's a big difference. And I think a lot can be said about that with regards to management style as well. Uh, because I've tried to well, carry those principles over into my management style. Yeah, and that see, and, and exactly. And I know we're we're going to definitely get into that, but that's really what I wanted the listeners to really understand about you is that I think from a very early age, you know, you were really instilled with ethic. You have to work, you know, for what is yours, and the problems of just believing that someone you know owes you something. And I've seen that. I've seen that with. I've known you for years. I've seen that in your in your daily walk. I know we've been, as I said, we've been friends for many years and I know you're very active in your church yep. and you mentor adults, you counsel young people, uh, how to walk in faith. 
I think it's very fair to say, you know, that you've raised your family with conservative values. And, you know, my thought was, you know, you can't just walk away from those beliefs when you go to work. And I'm kind of curious, you know, how, how can you incorporate that into work? Well, I, Thank you for the question. I think that there is a way of having underlying Judeo-Christian principles in your work life without being overtly proselytizing the people um, or talking about, you know, Bible, Bible brow beating them, if you want to use that phrase for lack of a better term. So there are very good ways of incorporating the core principles of your faith without mentioning God and using those principles within your management style to lead your teams effectively. And I try oh, to that's do great. And I try to do that's that. great. I think you, right. I mean, you, you have to, you can't set just like you can't separate your childhood and what you learn from, from your family. You can't separate right. that either. And, and that's great. So I just wanted to give the listeners just an understanding of a little bit of your background before we got into the next phase. And that's really um, helping us understand more about your industry. And I, I thought of this the other day and I thought it sounded kind of funny. You know, what's, what's brown, what lives in dirt? Uh, everybody loves them and they're extremely profitable. What is that? The ever, it's a potato. The beautiful <laughs> potato. <laughs> I mean, something so, some such, you know, humble little beginnings um, is such an incredible industry. So for those who are not at all really aware of this industry, just take us through kind of the, um, like, not just the supply chain, but more like the ecosystem of, of potatoes. Yeah, yeah. So I'll start, I'll take a step back if you don't mind. Um, so my yeah, industry is, there's, there's, is the food service industry. So food service is defined as anything that you eat that is outside of your home. I guess that's the best way to put it. If you go to stadium, you go to restaurant, you go to hospital, you go to college, wherever. If you're not eating in your home, that's food service. And um, so it's been a very great career for me. I've been in the industry over 25 years with, a, as you said earlier, with a series of organizations. And this organization in particular is very unique for me and very special. The reason I say that is because my name is very different. And come to find out that uh, as I was a teenager, that my name uh, is the name for the patron saint of farmers. So it's very unique that a guy that's named after the patron saint of farmers happens to be selling French fries. So how ironic <laughs> is that? So I, I always I, on, I joke with my mom that I was destined to sell potatoes. Whether <laughs> so I guess your, uh, your work in chocolate and uh, other places just prepared you for your work as a saint. That is right. That is exactly right. I'm far from oh, sainthood, by the way, but... but uh, <laughs> uh, we're working toward it. We're working toward it. We're working towards it. But it's, it's a very dynamic industry. And I say that is because of all of the organizations that I've worked for. And I've worked for some great companies. This organization is one that I find very fascinating in this industry because everybody loves this product. I mean, I personally, and maybe it's a shameless plug, I've never heard anyone say, I hate French fries. I don't think any of us have. Um, so it's, it's, it's. No friends of mine have said that. There you go. Exactly. So there's a lot of joy. There's a lot of great community that happens around this product. And I think that's why I was so drawn to the company. When you think about it, you think of that scene with teenage kids and they're sitting around and they're putting all their money together. What do they get? They get a big platter of fries and a couple of sodas and they're, they're sharing their fries. And there's a lot of community that's built there. You know, it's funny when people, whenever they bring a plate of food to you that has fries on it, the very first thing that people do is they pick a fry off the plate. And I think that says something. And, and I wanted to be a part of an organization that was really, truly, in my mind, uh, a, a full food service company, even though we do have a retail division. Uh, but we are truly, truly a, a food service company. And, and that's what I've given my whole life's work to is the food service industry. So it's great because there's so much science that goes into the product. And everyone thinks that <clears throat> you just put potatoes and seedlings in the ground or potato ends in the ground and it grows. And 
you cut them and you just put them through a machine. There's so much art and science that goes into it. I met, had the opportunity to visit our fields this year with all my sales team. And it was pretty fascinating meeting our agronomist and, you know, we have scientists on our staff and, um, you know, experts in soil. And there's so much that goes into to water conservation. And these folks are just amazing, amazing people and our plant people what? that do great work. Uh, so it's just, it's just a phenomenal organization to be a part of. Well, you know, I was thinking too, you know, in terms of when you try to plan and try to forecast ahead in terms of volume, you have to store these potatoes and you were telling me a story. Maybe you could share a little bit of that with me, with, with everyone. I thought that was kind of an interesting story about the, the shelf life of, of a potato. And yeah, then we'll, a, we'll delve into something, maybe a little more what we're here for in your management style. But I think it's interesting because, um, this is a fast, like you said, it is a fascinating industry. It really is. <laughs> it's amazing. And uh, mostly water and a little bit of starch and boom, you get a potato. And I don't want to get into the percentages and such and bore everybody. But right. uh, we, we harvest, and my, not only ourselves, but our competitors as well. We harvest uh, for several months throughout the, the late spring and early summer. And then it goes into uh, uh, potatoes are being used at that period to fill our supply chain. But then they go into storage. And it's a very, very uh, intricate process of storing potatoes until the next harvest. So imagine, if you will, in, the, in wherever your potatoes are grown, whether they be in the Northeast, where some of our competitors are, in the Midwest, or in the West, where we, we, like, we like that rich, you know, volcanic, ashy soil. And you live in, in Washington State before you know uh, what that soil is like and how great it is. That's where we grow all of our potatoes. And... And we, we take a lot of care to use the finest ingredients to make our product, which is the potato. And we are very, very picky about what we use and why we use it. And um, so we, we take great care in how we store our product. Uh, first of all, how we grow our product, how we harvest our product, and how we store our product. And, and they, are, they, are carefully har they are carefully warehoused for several months. And we, it's temperature controlled, and uh, so it can be the dead of winter. And they're they're nestled and very protected <laughs> until we need them. And we have we have all of our facilities near each other, so we have very quick access to acquire our, our product for manufacturing purposes, depending on what our customers are requiring and what our forecasts are are demanding and such. So it's it's pretty fascinating. It's pretty so pretty much we we have you know temperature control and there's oxygenation, you know, fresh air that comes in and things like that to keep them from spoiling, right? So, so these are some, this is a lot of that, you know, everything has to be temperature controlled to keep them in that state of when you first plucked it off of the vine. Gotcha. Once, so once they are off the vine, they really, it's just a matter of just keeping them fresh. So That's correct. That's correct. well, you've, you've touched on a little bit about why you chose Lamb Weston and I, and I, I appreciate that. Um, but you know, when I think about this topic about, you know, how to build, how to sustain a, a high performance team. And then I think about uh, a geographically dispersed uh, sales organization. I think there's probably a lot of things that might worry you or maybe kind of keep you up at night. Um, maybe just start by telling us just maybe what is the makeup of your team? What's the complexity? You know, are people, do you all work together? Are you remote? I mean, just kind of set that up for us first. Sure, sure. So our corporate offices, our main offices are based in Idaho, of course. Our sales and for all of and some of our marketing folks and some of our uh, sales support structure team, our sales organization is out of Naperville, Illinois. Um, and then the vast majority, the vast majority of us, myself included, are remote. Um, so my team compri is comprised of myself. I lead the eastern seaboard of our organization. Very blessed and fortunate to do that. Uh, I handle the what we call the operator side of the business, which is the restaurateur, uh, the decision maker at the location that is making the product, pretty much. So my team goes in and engages with those individuals. Um, we have another side, and I have a colleague that's a senior director of distribution that manages all of our distributor partners. So we don't sell directly to the restaurant, right? 
we don't sell directly to them. So we sell to, we make a contract that we have an agreement with a, with a restaurateur or a national account customer, and we have a contract in place or an agreement to buy our product. And then one of our uh, partner distributors distributes that product for us using our, our pricing that we've set in place. It's pretty straightforward. So I yeah, that's pretty straightforward, and that makes sense. That that kind of ensures that you're not in the logistics business. That's right. Well, we are to a certain extent because we to some extent, right? But I mean, you're not managing the daily delivery that's of right. potatoes to that's you know right. Joe's, yeah, Joe's restaurant and bar or whatever. But we are delivering it, and we have a very intricate. And I can't begin to tell you the the inner details, but we have a very sophisticated staff that handles our logistics of getting our product from not only our plant facilities to our frozen storage facilities, but from our frozen storage facilities, ultimately to those distributors that sell it to any number of food service operations. So I manage the operator side of it and I have six direct reports um, spread out from Florida, one in Georgia, uh, Mid-Atlantic, New York, New Jersey, New England, upstate New York. So there's six six managers that are on my team, and they're amazing, amazing people. And we'll talk a little bit about my style with them in a little bit. And within that, within those teams, there's anywhere from seven to ten, depending on the size of the geography, uh, sales representatives. So I have a total of fifty sales representatives that are on those my team. Uh, we also have teams indirectly of of people that that uh, call on large chain accounts, you know, that, and, and I, I don't want to name names, but, uh, right. No, you don't have to go into that. Yeah. Large chain accounts that we call on, you know, uh, 15, 20 unit restaurant locations and such. And we have a team of several individuals that, that manage that side of our operator business as well. Um, so, you know, our other big businesses are global business, which are think about very large customers that will remain nameless that buy, a lot of French fries. So we have a global team that's totally separate because I'm on the food service team. We have a global team that manages our global, what we call, you know, think about the top 100 chains in the world. That's pretty much the top, you know, the global, the global business. unit. Yeah. I imagine the competition is quite steep for that, which sure. leads us really to our topic. And that is, you know, how do you build, how do you sustain a high performance team? And with the the team is, you know, completely dispersed, as you say, six direct reports. You've got roughly 50 sales reps underneath that. Um, I don't know that I could sleep at night knowing there's so many moving parts. So <laughs> how do you begin to even manage a team that that dispersed? Uh, I'd love to hear, you know, how you break this down. Yeah, great question. So the first part is when we hired and, you know, when we hired, because about two years ago, organization we used to be have a broker representation and we went through and we decided to go direct and that's when we embarked on hiring i can't tell you how many people uh to our new organization that decided to take our business direct and have a direct sales force and though and i share that with you because the one thing that we all talked about as senior directors as we went on the interview circuit and found people for our organization was we are hiring for culture and culture is a word that is extremely important within our organization. Well, there's two words, culture for hiring and integrity once you're in the company. And those are the two principles that we don't, we don't um, surrender for anything. Uh, it's, it's, it's culture. First off, are you, a right, are you the right culture fit? Um, and then are you a person of integrity? And what I mean by that is culture means do you, it is not just getting along, right? Culture means a lot of things. Culture is, is, are you a good teammate? Um, are you kind? Um, are you thoughtful? Are you helpful to your team? Uh, do you add value to your team from the perspective of lifting up versus bringing down? Uh, and then integrity is pretty straightforward. It's doing the right thing when no one is watching, right? Because even though there's a manager in place, a manager might be very remote from some of their team members and they're not watching every day what they're doing, right? So you have to be in a person of integrity to be honest and tell the truth, not only internally, of course, which is extremely important, but externally because they are the face to the organization on the outside. So it's extremely important 
for me to share with my team, you have to be a person of integrity because you are the face to the customer. And if you are not an honest person and a person of integrity, then that says something about the organization. And, and that goes a little bit back to what you said at the start about you don't go around beating people over the head with your personal views, but you yourself show this integrity and the way you deal with them, your customers, and that obviously kind of translates. They kind of see that example. Um, I like that you said there was no surrender. Um, I've always said you should never compromise with a bad idea. That's so exactly. you've got a great idea. You're not going to compromise. So, But I, it's interesting because when you think about teams, and I know you're a lover of, of sports, you played sports, uh, you're, you're a huge in, uh, uh, CrossFit and other you know, types of um, you know, exercise, and that's kind of a competitive environment. But it's interesting. You didn't actually mention anything that had to do with like competition was that on design? Well, you know, it's 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 interesting. I I always tell our team I want to be uh, extremely united on the inside and fiercely competitive on the outside. And and I tell our team, you know, they are very hungry people. They're a bunch of mini alphas like me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're you're not a mini alpha. <laughs> Thank you very much. You're a full grown alpha. <laughs> But, uh, but they are very... So united on the inside, fiercely competitive on the outside. Yeah, and what I mean by fiercely competitive doesn't mean you compromise how you do things, right? Because I tell people, we will win with honesty and integrity. And if, if, if you can't do that, then we appreciate it, but this may not be the place for you. And that's okay. Um, and and I, I remember a speech that I gave when, when we hired all these folks and everyone was brand new. And I remember looking them all in the face and I said, if you win on the backs of your teammates and step on them as you get there, that is not winning. That's cheating. And that will not be tolerated as long as I lead this team. Because if you win, you will win with honor and integrity and by being a good teammate and a, and a good performer, right? You have to perform, but you also have to be, you know, a good teammate, Right. So we understand that we've lost a few people here and there, and that's okay uh, because it had other opportunities and whatnot. And, and, and there's, there's daily challenges that come in. But for the most part, people really understand our philosophy of how we're doing things. And I am very much not a micromanager because my boss, and I'm not doing this as a shameless plug, my boss is probably <laughs> the best boss I've ever had, followed by, you know, someone on my but team. But why? Because she, she says, you know, it's funny because she goes, if I, if she told me once, if I needed to babysit you every day, I shouldn't have hired you in the first place. Exactly. And what she, you, you get the right people on the bus and then you don't have to worry about motivating them. And that sounds like that's what you're talking about with, with that culture. Um, but I, I do want to touch on that because. It is talked about quite a bit, but you've got a lot of managers who are listening to this and their job, one of their primary jobs is they have to hire someone and they've got a, a culture that they're trying to build. So how, I mean, practically speaking, Isidro, how do you interview for culture? Do you have a certain, do, do you administer a test? Do you have um, some go-to questions? What's your, your strategy to get to the bottom of this? you know, being kind and helpful and just this overall style. Yeah, it's extremely hard in an interview, right? Because people put on their very best face. And then, you know, it's kind of like the Forrest Gump. So, you know, you, you open a box of chocolates, you never know what you're going to get, right? Life's so like a know, box of chocolates. Right. Yep. It, it's, it's like that. And hiring is like a box of chocolates. You know, you never know. But, you know, my, what I do is I say, well, tell me about a time when you were faced with this situation. Or when you were faced with a challenging coworker, or when you were faced with a fork in the road of being honest with your boss that you made a serious mistake or lying. And I asked those very direct questions. And I said, don't just tell me, yeah, I've done okay. Give me a concrete example. Tell me a story about when you faced this situation and tell me what happened. Set it up for me. What did you do? And what was the outcome? 
So that's the classic behavioral interview there. So, I mean, you probably, you, you know that obviously, but that's for, for the people who don't know what you're saying exactly, the term there is a behavioral interview question and you laid it out there. It's called STAR, S-T-A-R, Situation, Task, Action, Result. That's and that's what you're wanting them to kind of walk you through these past experiences? That's exactly right. And, and we make okay. sure of that. And, and, you know, I ask a funny question is, you know, what's your, what's your favorite French fry? <laughs> you know, we have some fun as well because if you're not, there you go. And, and if you're not a person that can react well to something funny in an interview, um, that says a lot too because, honestly, we don't take ourselves too seriously. I mean, we're serious in business. But we don't take ourselves too seriously. We try and have a lot of fun. We are selling a fun product. We are selling an experience. And we want people to have fun doing it. And are you going to have fun doing this? Can you really gauge that? Right? Can you really gauge that? And can you really gauge in that interview? So, you know, we split up and different people have different roles and different tactics and different questions. And they're primarily behavioral questions to your point. But we really, in a short period of time, can tell. And I can tell within 15 minutes if that person is going to be a fit. I guarantee you I can tell. I can totally now, tell. Now, so I want to stop you right there because typically the, the thought process is, you know, you can read a resume in 30, 60 seconds. You can tell if someone has the skill set. And you're saying in a face-to-face -face meeting, right? This is not like a phone, but like more of like a face-to-face. -face. You, can, you can kind of suss someone out in about 15 yeah, well, it's either one of two things because we were interviewing all over the country, right? So there were some instances where there were just some cities that we interviewed people via video, um, via video like, a, you know, one of the services or online video or whatever, WebEx or Skype or whatever, WebEx mostly. Um, and you can see, you can tell on the screen, but even from a phone screen, here's the thing, Tony, too many times people focus so much on the resume and yeah, it's important. And when your accomplishments are important and your, you know, education is important and all that. But we hired, I hired several people that are now really big performers in the company, not because of what was on their resume or so much that many didn't even have food service experience, but I saw something in them from a cultural perspective and my, counterparts as well that interviewed them, we said, this person is a fit for culture. And in some instances, many of the people that we hired had zero food service experience, zero. And they're superstars. Now that's interesting because a lot of people do complain that they can't break into an industry because they don't have the experience. So this is a pretty good, um, you weren't trying to make a plug, but that's a, that's a very good um, statement that you're putting uh the person, the character, choosing the right person above whatever experience that they've had. So that's interesting. Well, let's, I want to transition a little bit away from culture because that, I think you've really nailed that. And you're not, it doesn't sound like you're using testing. You've just kind of designed your own kind of behavioral style. But you, you did mention that they perform. So I'd love to hear from a like tactical, maybe metrics or KPI, you don't have to necessarily talk about, you know, current company, but just what's the strategy laying down um, the forward look, right? For salespeople, salespeople ha are judged on numbers. So how do you, from a numbers KPI, uh, set a team in, in motion that, that maybe sure. I hate to use the word motivate them, but yeah, so so we have incentive programs. So from I started with the motivation. So we have incentive programs. We have you know obviously you know our compensation packages and such include bonus at the end of the year, et cetera. And that's a big motivator, right? But we also have, um, and I'll get into the KPIs in a second. But one of the things that people need to understand is that um, not everybody is motivated just by money. So we have uh, an awards program and at our annual meeting, we, we have, we get dressed up um, and we have an award ceremony for various awards. And it's amazing how competitive it is and people want that award because people love recognition from their organization and their peers. So above and beyond, you know, compensation and bonus and all of that, 
we also have the ability for people to be recognized in front of their peers for job well done. Within that, um, how you get there is we have obviously a, a sales uh, sales reporting system that we record, you know, people's sales activity and such and what they've done and we can send targets to them. And we pretty much at the beginning of the year say, these are our goals for the year. And this is what everyone's contribution is going to be. So my team has their contribution, my colleagues in the central part of the country and the western part of the country. I have two other colleagues that do what I do. They have their marching orders. The person that manages that chain account team, he has his marching orders. And everyone understands what their contribution to the team is. And then we divvy it up amongst the teams based on size. And then we determine, you know, how many pounds has of we have to deliver for each sales representative and then for innovation, our, our innovative products, or whatever it may be, whatever the task may be, everything is fully, fully laid out at the beginning of the year. So really what you're saying is that there is a there is a structure, there's a very clearly defined goal. In your case, right. you're, you're talking, I think you said pounds. I guess that would make sense. Right. Um, so you're given a, like a tonnage. Is this, I don't know. You know, this is sure. what we want you guys. Yeah. Each person has, and then you, yeah, or, or or maybe you can, you have to sell this much to new customers. You need to sell this much to existing customers because we don't just want one product. We want to try and get them to use a multitude because let's say you go to the restaurant with your family, right? And your daughter who I know loves French fries, right? She Um, does. And, and your wife and you probably have three different palettes of what you like. Right. So we try and share with restaurateurs, don't buy just one because you might lose out on a sale Buy multiple ones. And and so there's an element for that. And then there's an element for innovation. Then there's an element, obviously, for profitability and stuff, because we have to make money. Right. We can't just sell it for no profit. Right. So that's part of it as well. So there's this. And then there's but more importantly too, Tony, there's some great personal development goals. And I want to say that our organization does a phenomenal job at personal development because we look at career pathing. We look at what do you want to be when you grow up and do you have the skill set? And here's what it's going to take for you to get there. We've done these exercises. So people, people have a tendency, myself included, right? We all have a tendency to think that we're better than we actually are, myself included. And, and there's, <laughs> there's a humbling factor to that when someone says, hey – Here's some blind spots that you might be aware of, might not be aware of. And if you want to aspire to do certain things within the organization, that's great. But here's the skill set that you're going to need to get there, right? So that's part of it. So there's individual development plans that go into it. So it's not just about the numbers. It's about making sure that they become better business professionals. That's part of our, our take as well. So you're saying there's a, a concerted effort for talent management and yourself, uh, your six direct reports, your sales reps, they have, uh, is this more like a a formalized meeting where they kind of lay out what they want to do and the company knows this is the general skill set from a, you know, a leadership or a tactical standpoint. These are the skills that you will need to reach this level. And then you can kind of put in um, a plan for that person to get that extra experience so they can continue to grow. That's correct. So every role within our organization has a defined set of, uh, you know, competencies, so to speak, that if I, if somebody wants to do my job, here are the skills that you have to take. And within that, those skills, there's anywhere from just basic things that you have to know to a very high level mastery level of you have to really be clicking on all cylinders in these areas at this level to get there. And there's a myriad of, 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 of steps in between, right? And it's a really good exercise. And I think more organizations need to really be honest because the tendency is, right? The, the tendency is, well, I've been here 15 years. Why am I not the such and such or such and such? And my philosophy as well, um, tenure does not mean preparedness, right? There's a series of things that people have to learn along the way, whether they be with regards to technology, financial aspect, people management, uh, team collaboration. There's a lot of different factors 
right, that people have to develop, negotiation skills, presentation skills, all of those things that people have to learn to be a well-rounded person. And I think there's a tendency for people to say, well, I've been here longer than Susie has, so I need to be promoted because Susie shouldn't have gotten promoted because she got here two years ago. I've been here 10. Well, what that person didn't know is that Susie, hypothetically, has a huge runway of experience in a lot of these functional areas that this person wasn't aware of, right? So Susie, as an example, hypothetically, is better prepared for this role. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think you've, you've touched on something that if obviously you're in a, you know, a multi-billion dollar, you know, extremely profitable company and you can essentially afford to have a developed talent management program. And I didn't know you had one and it's good to hear that. When I worked at Cox Enterprises, they had a talent management program as well. I think they called it like the nine box system and those were many of the things that you were describing, they all kind of fall into those boxes. And then you were graded on how you did in those nine boxes. And when you kind of fill, fill those boxes in, you, you're pretty much telling the organization you're ready for that next move. And the organization is looking ahead, trying to find the next place for you. So if you're a manager in a smaller company, then it really behooves you to work with, work with your boss or work with the owner in some way to really start laying out, you know, a, a rude uh, simulation of this, right? Because if if, what you're telling me is that your sales reps know if they do the work and they put in effort to develop themselves to become more of a high performer, then there is a, there's a future. So they have a lack of a better word. They have a hope they see, right? Right. And I'm glad you say that because I think one of the things I talked to a lot of young people that say, well, my organization doesn't have a formal review program. And I'm like, well, maybe you need to ask your management to create one for you. Because how do you know where you stand professionally internally? And that means you're not being prepared for opportunities outside of your organization, right? So I'd, I'd encourage everyone that's listening that is not does not have that in their repertoire annually that they request that. I think it's healthy. I think it's good for people to know where you stand. Now, with that comes a lot of responsibility, right? Because when people tell you what they're going to tell you, you have to be wise enough and open enough to accept that constructive criticism. The only way you're ever going to get better is with constructive criticism, right? So I think that's really important too. But I wanted to take a step back to something you said about your time at Cox. And, And I'll say this, our HR team is phenomenal. And they have created some amazing tools for people development. I can't get into a lot of details, but we do uh, an assessment of every employee. This is above and beyond their annual review. We do an assessment of every employee and we determine, does that person, is that person promotable? Is that person, you know, a great key professional? What does it take? Do these people have high potential? So we do all of that work right, for every employee within the sales organization because we are building the bench of leadership, right? And and the, if, if people leave, we need to know who is a person that can fill that role, that role. I am a firm believer, and I let my managers know this. This is my management philosophy, the concept of replacing yourself. If I were to leave this company today, I know right now who are a handful of people that I would recommend right away to do my role. Or if, even if I get promoted within the organization, right? Because I've been involved and I can see who has it and who's done the right things and who has that skill set, right? So every manager needs to do that of their employees. And some people are very egotistical from the standpoint, well, I, I don't want to think about somebody that can do my job because that means that they are potentially going to replace me. Yeah, that's the point. <laughs> that's the whole point. Right. Well, that goes back to your point about culture. So you right. Get right there, you know you've got a wrong culture fit if they're not comfortable with the upward mobility in this concept. That's exactly right. There is no greater joy for a leader than to see their people thrive and get promoted. And I tell my people all the time, I hope that you run this company someday, right? Um, and, I, and I mean that. 
right? Because I know that certain people have a skill set potentially that I don't. I just happen to be blessed and fortunate to be in the role that I am. But that doesn't necessarily mean that there's not someone in a, in a role uh, that's, that's lower than mine that doesn't have the ability to do the job better at some point than I would in a, in a higher uh, promoted position. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, that sounds like, you know, it's easy to say humility. Yeah. It's another thing to actually have to live it and experience someone that was on your team get promoted beyond you. Has that ever happened to you? Someone on your team got promoted above you? Um, I hate to put you on the spot. I'm just curious. Has no, that actually question. ever happened? I, I knew you were going to ask me that, and I started to think about it before you were. <laughs> well, you kind of set it up for me. I, I haven't. I have it to the best of my recollection. I haven't. Um, I have it to the point where they've been promoted to be like my boss. They've been promoted to other jobs, but not to be my direct manager. But um, Right. Or maybe I, I just... You know, you, you had a manager that one day became a VP and you weren't a VP yet. So interesting. Oh, no, that, not, that, uh, not yet. Nothing. Not yet. That would be an interesting uh, case in um, humility, but also great hiring. Well, here's the thing, too. That person, here's the thing. If, that, if you worked well with that person and they know your capabilities, they're not going to bother you from the standpoint of micromanaging you because they're going to know your work ethic, and they're going to they're gonna know that you know what they're doing. So your relationship is going to probably be a lot better than if someone came in cold that didn't know you, right? And at least you know that person. Now, if you didn't get along with that person in the first place, then that might be a problem, right? But, but, but generally speaking, it usually works out for the better, right? It usually works out for the better. Well, now, I, there was a situation I, I, where, where, my, there, where I, was, I was in a situation where I became the manager of someone that – you know, I was a little bit higher position than the person, uh, but they were on the same team. It was like we, you know, didn't report to me, but then the person reported to me, and I, I spoke directly to it, right? And I said, "Hey, let's talk about this because I don't want this to be awkward." And I think that's what's wrong in, in, in not only in society today, but in, in management is people aren't having respectful, honest, heartfelt conversations about subjects like this that make people uncomfortable. And we are very big at our organization about having some of those uncomfortable conversations because that's the only way that you're going to be able to work productively together. So I think that... I love that culture. Yeah. I, I love that culture. And that is, it's true. They, they, they are not promoting, uh, they're not encouraging passive aggressiveness. No, no. We, we have conversations and we talk things out. And if there's you know, I always say there's there's two things you can do when you're upset. You can you can this is just my speaking. You can give it to God and get over it, and give it to God and let Him handle it, or you can talk to the person in a respectful manner, address the manner, and have peace with the person. But you can't just let it linger because the only one that suffers is yourself because you're in the mental anguish. The other person doesn't really know what you're going through. But you've got to you've got to address it because it ultimately it ends up affecting your performance on the job. Because that's oh, it does. And it, think about one hundred percent. Yep. Yeah. No. No. You're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. You'll you can actually make yourself sick by uh, you know harboring those those yeah. feelings. Um, you know, I don't know that we have to go into KPIs. We've covered a lot of information to this point. It sounds like you you know in the system you have it's very structured. Um, it sounds like the, the KPIs in this, um, I don't know, the, the name. You didn't mention the name of your sales reporting system, like a Salesforce, something like that? That's exactly right. That's it. Yeah, that's that's one of the world's most popular. I, I don't know that world, I think the KPI world would run, be. I think the world runs on that. <laughs> I think it does. I think it does. I might have to bring someone from Salesforce on just to find out, you know, how have they done it? Because they're obviously, they're doing something right. Uh, they, created, um, they created some magic. I, I did want to say something before I forgot. They did. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I wanted to talk a little bit about my 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 50, my 50 soldiers, for lack of a better term, that are out there day in and day out. So our team is comprised almost 50-50 of male-female, which is awesome, of our frontline sales, per, sales team on my team. It's almost 50-50. I think it's like 52-48 or something, you know, something like that. Um, I last count, but they are a remarkable group of individuals. And I've had the honor and privilege of working 
with uh, over the last year and a half. That's why I've been gone so much. That's why you haven't seen me in the neighborhood as much. But I've had the joy of working with, uh, we've had some people depart the company, so them included, but I've worked with over 50 some of our sales representatives. Now that's includes the ones that have left. We have some new people that I still have to work with. But I made it a personal goal to work with each and every one of our frontline salespeople that are on my team. And there was a lot of travel involved and a lot of, you know, coordinating, but I've worked with each and every one of them because I wanted to understand what a day in their life is. And I wanted to understand what are the pain points, right? And I wanted to understand was what are the great things that they're doing that I can, A, take to the rest of the team, B, take to our training team or our sales, sales readiness, what we call our sales you know, development team, or C, uh, take to our HR team for consideration. And if they're having some pain points, by the same token, what can we do to make their lives better? And I made it a point of effort. And so many changes came uh, as for processes and for improvements as a result of that exercise. And the, my managers have said that their teams get excited when they hear I'm coming because they know I'm going to listen to them, right? And I think too many times it's very easy to sit in a position of leadership and say, well, I'm the leader. Well, if you have to tell your people that you're the leader, you're not really a good leader, right? But if you have the humility to say, I'm going to come work with you and I come and work with them and and I'm literally in the kitchen frying French fries while they're doing the sales pitch. And they're like, wait, you're going to do what? I'm like, yeah. And I want to be there to talk to customers. And I want to hear what customers are saying about our products. And I want to hear what customers are saying about what our competitors are doing well and not doing well. So that's really important. And that's, that's, just, that's just good good leadership, right, in my mind, is being out there and letting people know, hey, I care about you because I know this job is not easy. I know you get doors <clears throat> slammed in your face. I know it's very difficult. But your organization is behind you, and we want to help you, so tell us what we need to do to make things better, right? Or what are the great things that you do that other people can emulate for that matter? So I wanted to make sure and share that with you. No, that's a great story because you really answered one of the last questions that I had and you kind of went right into it. But that was, that's really how you self-diagnose your team because I know you've inherited teams and you've had to build teams. And when you right. build teams, you can kind of put your own, you can make your own choices, right? But many people, when they get into management, they're inheriting a team. That's and you right. talked about number one, you need it. If you are on the team and now you're promoted to lead the team, you've already gave great advice about that. Go talk to everyone individually and just make sure that relationship is, is solid and kind of keep, you know, keep building those relationships from that point of view. But secondly, you said, and this was important, you went around and found out what was wrong. And so I think that's the best advice there is that's how you kind of self-diagnose what's wrong in the organization. That's right. That's right. And, and most organizations would take, and I'm not saying that anything's wrong, wrong with this. I don't want to put people out of business, right? But any, you can hire a consultant to do that, right? You can. But unless they're in the trenches and they go to the front, of, to the front line there and really understand the dynamics. And, and when I sit, and for example, in our industry, it's, it's, it's very tight margins, right? It's very tight margins. So when I talk, when I, I'm sitting with a customer and I'm saying, hey, tell me what your life is like right now. And I'll give you an example. I'm not going to name the state, but I was in a particular state in the union. And I said, tell me what your life is like right now. And the restaurateur said, I'm very concerned. And I said, well, why are you concerned? And I said, well, there's a lot of laws that are coming after January 1st with regards to labor. And and, and I don't want to get into whether it's right or wrong or different, right? I'm, he, I'm just relaying the message to you know, minimum wage and my minimum wage for all my employees, for the most of them are going to double. That's going to have a huge impact on my business, right? So what does that do for me? That I said, so what are you going to do about it? And we start talking and how can my products benefit you? So I get some great learnings when I'm out in the field because I'm able to take that and take it to my fellow senior leaders in the organization say, hey, here's what our customers are saying. 
this is what the, these are their pain points. How does our product fit in that? Or better yet, how do our sales team hear that and adjust to that? Right? What do we do? So there's some great. Yeah, that, that's kind of fascinating because apparently uh, all these different uh, styles of French fries or potatoes, you know, they're they're made in, with certain machines, right? So. Right. If some machines maybe are more manual versus some that might be more automatic, that might help alleviate the need to have more of these, you know, uh, hourly workers. That may be a bad example, but I think that's kind of where you were going. The company could go back into like an R&D mode and say, okay, this is what's happening. This is the new legal environment, and here's how we need to help our customers, and we can – Maybe remove one person from this process, thereby saving them money. Is that well, is, is that kind of what you meant? That's exactly right. And you know we're pretty automated. We our our machines are pretty <laughs> automated, right? But but okay. So like I said, I I don't know. I've never seen them, but I'm just assuming. Oh yeah, if you go to YouTube and you look, you'll see some of our processes. It's pretty it's pretty fascinating. Um, but but to that point, I'm glad you say that. So for an example, in this instance with that with that operator, uh, they said. Um, labor is a big issue for me now. And this person was cutting their own French fries. So now I'm going, okay, so now you're paying a person and now their, their pay, their pay is doubling. So do you really want them peeling and cutting potatoes? Why not just buy them from us? Right? So that's a perfect example that you laid out of this is when we can bring solutions to people. If you understand the dynamics and the marketing, the environment. And I always tell my people, it's very easy. And this is where riding in the car is really important. It's very easy for us to always go in to see a customer and go in with our agenda. Nine times out of 10, I have been extremely successful in selling in my career, not because I went in and said, I have the best widget that widgets, uh, all the available widgets, and you've got to have it and you've got to buy it. But the other token is, is just listening. I always tell my team, ask basic questions and just listen. And we have, you know, we do something called the five stages of selling, which we go through. And I'm not going to get into the interest of time, but discovery is a big part of it. And that's part of asking the questions of the customer that are really relevant to their business. Tell me why, tell me what's good about your experience with, products like ours, whether it be mashed potatoes or appetizer line, because it's not just potato, it's not just French fries. We also make mashed potatoes and sweet potatoes and appetizers. So tell me about your experience with products like ours. Tell me about your labor. Tell me about your preparation. Tell me about your storage and all of these things, right? They go into it. And we start hearing and they will share with you more than you could ever imagine. And I tell my team, Selling is two parts listening, one part speaking. If you listen twice as much as you speak, you will be a hugely successful salesperson. But if you go in and speak three times as much as you're listening, that customer is not going to feel like you're empathetic to them and you really want to help them. They're going to think you're just trying to sell them something. I think you said it, right? You, you go in there without an agenda. That's right. And that sounds like... Honestly, that really sounds like that's how you approach the management of your staff. You don't go to them with an agenda. You go to them asking them to be brutally honest. What's the truth? What's the reality of the situation right now? And there's that culture there. They tell you, and then you can respond based on what you've heard rather than going to them with you acting like you know all the answers. You couldn't possibly know all the answers, right? With a team that diverse over that many states, that many zip codes, I mean – it's impossible. And, so I think you've really laid right. out a great, yeah. And every market is different, right? The way our sales reps, you know, the the the, the customers in Buffalo are very different from New York, New York City, and South Florida is very different from Jacksonville, and you know, Washington D.C. is very different than Richmond, Virginia, right? The customers, the way that they their style, the way they interact with salespeople, it's radically different. But if you stay true to yourself, I've walked into some of the toughest environments in New York City with some of our sales representatives. And at the end of the meeting, we've not only gotten business, but, you know, we've maintained it. And it's just, and they're like, how the heck did you do that? And it's just, it's just, guys, I'm, I'm old. So first of all, <laughs> <laughs> you are not old. 
I'm older than you. You're just wise. I'm wise. I'm, I don't know about that, but I'm older than you. But uh, I've been doing this a while. But but more importantly, is this: you just got to listen to them. They just want to be heard. They want to tell you, and 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 it's it's amazing uh, some of the success that our team have had. We've had some really good years of performance because they we've really been really dogged about making sure, and all the way down from. Our, our training team that does an amazing job developing materials for us to make better business professionals and better business people. Uh, down to our, our, our management team that manages these teams on the front line and they trickle that down and and they they use that as well. We're constantly tinkering and talking about process improvement, personal development and improvement. I'm like, you know, this is not a complicated job. Um, I wouldn't say it's an easy job. It's somewhere in between. And there's days that are harder than others. Um, but a lot of it is relationship and understanding the dynamic of what we call the, the human psyche, <laughs> right? And, uh, and Yeah, the black box of, exactly. of the person. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. at any given that, moment, that's it the be t- a, it's a Pandora's box. And our, our salespeople well, have to navigate because there is a person between them and that customer and there is a, a salesperson from that distributor that sells the product to that restaurant. And in some instances, they may not want to sell our product because it may not be financially beneficial to them. So our salespeople really have to understand navigating. This is an interesting minefield, so to speak. So they have a lot of interpersonal relationships that they have to keep in the marketplace because there's another buffer between them and that customer. And that's the person that's delivering the product and selling that not just our product, but all of the products to that restaurant. So they have to have a great relationship with that person as well, or it can go really bad for them. So there's that interpersonal skills and business building and negotiation and, and, and relationship management. Those are all important facets of how we do things. So I'm going to put you on the spot for our last kind of thought here. Um, because there's a good chance that one of the, the managers or senior managers, anyone who's listening to this, they're dealing with a team that's struggling. There's, mm-hmm. They're not high-performing. Um, they're not as well-oiled as what you know, you've helped build and kind of create there. So like best advice for a manager, very practically speaking, who's just trying to turn around a struggling team and maybe even save his job or her job. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I would say look look at look within yourself. I would say to ask people that do your job in another area, if there if there exists, what is the perception of me in the organization? And that's that's tough, right? Because you don't want to hear, well, you're kind of a jerk, <laughs> right? Or you're very difficult to deal with, or you're kind of bombastic, or you know you're you're not easy to approach, right? You don't want that. You, a lot. It's it's hard to hear. So first of all, you got to be prepared for some constructive criticism. Secondly, I would say is is have a, a non anonymous survey of your team and have them give you feedback on your management style, what they like, what they don't like. Uh, what's good, what's bad, what would they like to see? And the reason for that is if you start to see patterns from certain people that they all answer a certain way, there's probably a lot of fire to that, right? There's probably a lot of, there's a lot to be said about that. And maybe there's some adjustments needed. I think the other thing is to work with your people really, you know, like if for a sales organization, it's easy because it's just a matter of getting in the car. But don't get in the car and start critiquing everything that they do. What I do is at the end of each each work with that I do with someone as a manager, is as a leader, is I go and I do an evaluation on it. And there's a sheet that I follow that's a, a series of different things, whether they be using technology, your sales approach, preparedness. even And I even look at how clean their car is and how organized their car is because they're working out of their vehicles, Right. So at the end of the day, it's very positive and nothing is like, oh, this was terrible. It's all, you know, constructive criticism. Here's an area for improvement. Uh, I copy our trainer. I say, hey, you might want to spend time with our trainer in this specific area because I see that you can develop that. 
So it's, it's, it's that, right? Helping your people become better people. Um, and I'd say too is, is really start to look at, ask people, you know, what are some good leadership books or management books or, or such? Uh, and, and do some self-learning, right? Do some self-learning. Understand that you're not going to do it just by luck or by chance. There's people that are had a lot of success and have written a lot of great books, and that's another great. I'm a big proponent of self-development, and that's a big part of it as well. Um, and just have. Some I, I tell you what, I was not expecting that answer. That is a great curveball to kind of finish up because I was thinking you were going to talk about how to go and work with the team. And that's not what you said at all. And I think that's great advice. You told the manager to look deep within themselves and ask other people to find out what you're doing wrong. Correct. And I, I think that's the totally unexpected. And, and that's why we, I wanted you here on, on, on the program today because I knew we could find something very unique and very different. And that just goes to show you. Um, the great leaders look within, and yeah, I no, think you just gave us all a, a great example of that. Thanks, Tony. And the hardest thing to do is look at just look in the mirror of leadership. <laughs> That's the hardest thing to do because you start to see as we age, right? It's no different than as we age. We start to see, you know, different changes in, in how we look, right? And, and that looking at yourself from a leadership or managerial in that managerial mirror is not always easy. And there's a lot of flaws there, and it's not always easy. But the only way to get better and to have high-performing teams are to make sure that you are right and that you are well-centered uh, and that you all that you have great balance, right? Um, and I think too many times managers think that high-performance teams have to work 15 hours a day. And we are very big. One thing about our organization is family first, and that is our that is so true. Uh, I had a couple of instances and I want to make sure there's certain things, topics that I wanted to make sure and talk about. This is one. Um, my manager had a, uh, some, we had some tragedies in our family and with some friends and such. And, and I let our man, my manager know, and she didn't bat an eye. She said, you do what you got to do and you take care of your family. You take care of your, your friend or whatever it may be. <clears throat> and I think we lose sight of that. And I think that it's, you know, People appreciate that. And, and I've had a series of some of my people have gone through some very hard things, whether it be losing a parent or losing a child uh, and things like that. And those situations are hard. Right. right. And if they know that you have their back. Right. Um, that will make a difference in how they perform and that will make a difference in how they view their company. And uh, that will make a huge difference of how they view you as a leader. Because if it's all about dollars and cents, um, they may not they may not work as hard. But if they know that you truly have their back, come what may, they are going to perform. And it's got to be real. It can't be fabricated. It's got to be real. And I think that's that's one of the very key elements that I think too many managers overlook is that people side, because people do matter, right? So very important from my perspective. What a great way to finish, Cedro. Thanks. This has been great. I, I really appreciate it. I hope that I've added value, and uh, hopefully, there's you know, it, it, management principles are uh, certainly not something that's unique to any industry. We all deal with them. It's just the products are different, right? So, uh, but you know, management style is is extremely important. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you for coming on the program, and we will check in with you again at some later date and um, maybe have a, a, a part two. That'd be wonderful. That'd be wonderful. Great. Thank, thanks for being here. Thanks, Tony.